If you will, take your Bibles and join me in Acts chapter 6. We're going to continue through our study of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6. And we'll begin together in just a moment in verse 1. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Talking about the, the food pantry ministry. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a convert from Antioch. And they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. The title of my sermon this morning is Growing Pains. Growing Pains. Just jot that down. And we'll come back to that throughout the sermon. I texted Scott Hand this morning. Uh, for him, it's, it's nighttime. We're 12 hours different. He's in Taiwan. He's the ministry uh, missionary family that was with us for about a year living in the parsonage across the street. And I said, Scott, I said, I need some details on a story that you told me a while back. He said, what is it? I said, I need to know about Coat Rack Baptist Church. And so he sent me the story on Coat Rack Baptist Church church. Here's how the story goes. Scott was in one of his seminars with the other D-men students, which is a doctorate of ministry. And they were uh, getting to know each other. So the professor said, tell us your name and tell us where you serve. And so they all went around and they said their name and they said what uh, place of ministry they were serving in. And most of them were pastors and they had churches. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of names for churches all over the place. But this one fellow, they get to him and he shares his name. And then he says, I'm serving at Coat Rack Baptist Church. And the professor, who's been in ministry for decades, sort of shook his head and said, excuse me, can you tell me where you're serving again? He said, Coat Rack Baptist Church. You, you heard that right. He said, why don't you tell us a story on Coat Rack Baptist Church? He said, well, he said, I'm pastoring a church that's a split off of, uh, uh, I guess, a church that uh, a few decades ago was together. And, and he said, what happened was the pastor and the deacons decided that it would be best to move this coat rack from the back to the front or the front to the back, wherever it was. But there was a lady in the congregation that said, no, 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 I donated that in memory of a family member. And they said, you're not moving that coat rack anywhere. And the pastor and the deacon said, but it would be better if we moved it from the back to the front or the front to the back. No, I donated that coat rack and it's in honor of my family member and it's not moving. And so... This woman, this elderly woman, and her friends, I guess you would say, decided we're going to split off 
And we're going to start our own church. You know what we're going to call it? Coat Rack Baptist Church. That's no joke. That young man is pastoring a church this morning, preaching in Coat Rack Baptist Church. But I got to thinking about that. As comical as it is, it's, it's equally as sad, is it not? Because any number of things in a church can arise and create a situation where, where a place splinters or fractures and what ensues? Division. Division and conflict and frustration and all of that. Well, what we find in Acts chapter 6 is a situation that is taking place where a complaint arises, but it's not because the coat rack was in the wrong location. Or some family member was dishonored because their name was on a plaque. It's none of those things. It's actually a good thing is going on that creates a situation for potential division. In Acts chapter 6, we have uh, some growing pains going on. Does anybody remember that TV show? I know that's the second 80s show I've mentioned in this series. I get that. Uh, I, I like 80s TV shows. But there's some serious growing pains going on in the church. Peter preached at Pentecost and how many people gave their lives to Christ? 3,000. Imagine that altar call. Imagine that altar call. 3,000 people turn to Jesus in the same day. What in the world do you do with 3,000 brand new babies on the, on the labor and delivery wing? You're overwhelmed, right? You have to figure out how to meet their needs. And then several thousand more people were added by the end of chapter 5. And so this new movement, it's not even called Christianity yet. They, they called it the way. They were Followers of the way. This new movement is sweeping through this city like wildfire. It can't be stopped. It just seems to go everywhere. It's like water when you spill it. It just runs into every crack and every place downhill. And so we get to chapter 6. And if you notice from chapter 6 all the way to the end of the book of Acts. I'm not certain on this. But I think you won't see Luke mention numbers anymore. Why? Because the roll sheets... They didn't know what to do with it anymore. How do you keep up with the roll sheets when there's 5,000 plus people? You just, Louise Davis would just toss those things in the air and say, I give up. I quit. How do you keep up with the roll sheet when your church is growing that fast? And so the early church faced a lot of challenges. But of all the challenges they faced, the challenge of success and growth would prove to be one of the most difficult ones they faced. Why? Because as you grow, think about this in any area of your life, if it's your waistline or if it's your family, as you grow, what happens? You're forced to look at things differently, right? You're forced to look at things differently. Someone give me this belt this morning. Give it to me this past week. This is a great, it's one of those as seen on TV belts. You know how it works? It clicks and it, and it ratchets. So if I eat too much for dinner, all I have to do is loosen that thing a little bit. And guess what? No problem. Right? So if I eat too much, my waistline is going to change. Right? If I eat too many Oreos, I'm going to have to loosen this belt. Well, good thing, because it loosens easily. I can take care of that. But as you grow, you have to look at things a little bit differently. And so what we see in Acts chapter 6 is this church is trying to meet the spiritual and the physical needs of the group as it is growing beyond their control. And so the help of the Spirit and the wisdom of the leadership, here's what they do. They take a situation that was dicey and could have been divisive, and what do they turn it into? A situation where there's spiritual and numerical growth. Instead of division, what happens? Multiplication. Now, I'm no math expert, but I know those are pretty different. So today I want to look at how the church navigated the growing pains they faced 
And I want to lift out three simple principles for you from the text today. The first principle is this. We need to remember that there will be some friction along the way. It's part of the process. Okay? We need to remember, as we do church together, as we journey forward together, as Acts chapter 6 was moving into chapter 7, what did they face? Friction. As they grew, there were some pains in the body, right? We talk about growing pains. I didn't have a lot of growing pains growing up. I didn't grow an awful lot. But I heard people around me had growing pains and it hurt. As we grow as a church, as you grow in your spiritual life, as your family grows... There will be growing pains. Verse 1 tells us that a complaint arose, listen to this, by the Hellenists against the Hebrews. That's important. By the Hellenists against the Hebrews. Why? Because the Hellenistic widows were being overlooked. They were being neglected in the food pantry ministry of the church. So I want you to think about this. Okay, The, believing, the, the, the group of believers just went from 500 to 6,000. I did the math on a calculator. That's multiplied by 12. Take your family unit that you grew up with, if it was 4 or 8 or 15 of you in the same house, multiply that by 12. And think about how many more pots of pinto beans you're going to be fixing. When the group is growing like this, you've got to figure out how to meet those needs. The group multiplied literally by 12. So what if this church said, hey, we need to find one big meeting place for all 6,000 of us to meet. Where are you going to do that at? I mean, where are you going to park 6,000 vehicles? Or let's say two people come together. Where are you going to park 3,000 vehicles? Biltmore Baptist couldn't park that, I don't think. What about the Lord's Supper? We did that last week. It takes us 15-ish minutes to get through. What would you do with 6,000 people? You would never get through the Lord's Supper. You would never get through it. Or what about if you were trying to recruit volunteers to staff the preschool rooms? There's not enough goldfish in Jerusalem to feed that many preschoolers that are hungry and demanding goldfish if you have 6,000 people. So as the church grows, what else grows? Opportunities for friction. Right? Shouldn't come as a surprise to us, but what is it? Comes as a surprise sometimes. Catches them off guard. So the Hellenists form this complaint. Basically, the Hellenists were this. They're Greek-speaking Jews who adopt the customs of their Gentile neighbors. Okay? They speak Greek as their, their language, okay? but they adopt the customs of the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. So they're still Jewish in their belief, but they begin to dress like the Jews, and they speak Greek, and they kind of shift away from some of the cultural customs of the Jewish crowd. So what did the Jewish crowd in church begin to do? Mm -mm. Look down on them. Tisk tisk. Begin to talk about them. Sorry, my mic's over here. They begin to look down on them. Why? Because they're not like us. They're a little bit different. So what does the Hellenistic group decide to do? They get a complaint card, I guess out of the pew pocket in the front, and they fill it out. And they drop it in the comment box and they tell the apostles, listen here, apostles, we're not happy about this because our widows are getting overlooked in the food pantry ministry. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a terrible tendency sometimes when I read about the early church, I have a terrible tendency to romanticize the people and the events and just, oh man, everything was just wonderful. 
They never faced conflict. There was no friction. There was no problems or warts or wrinkles. That's just airbrushed beauty, right? That's magazine cover stuff. These are people. What are they made of? The same flesh that we are made of. They're prone to the same mistakes and everything that we are. Tim Keller, who used to pastor Presbyterian or Redeemer Church uh, in uh, New York City, said this. The church is made up of people, and people are messy. Amen? Amen. Everybody, amen. Because you're messy, and you're people, and I'm messy, and I'm people. The church is made up of people, and people are messy. He says, therefore, expect messiness. Should we expect Christian growth? Yes. As the closer we get toward heaven, there should be less and less mess if we're truly following Jesus. But when we come together, there ought to be an element at which we say, you know what? Like my mom used to say, consider the source. You know what the source is? All of us are in a battle with the flesh. That's what Paul said. Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And then he says, blessed be the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sets us free. Jesus sets us free from the mess of demanding our personal preferences so that we fix our eyes and our mind on him. When you read the epistles, Paul's letters, when you read Paul's letters, why did Paul's letters focus so much on resolving issues in the church? Because the church is people. When we come to church, listen, we don't just come to church, we are the church, amen? We are the church collectively. When we come to church and when we are the church, what do we bring with us when we gather? Our baggage. Our baggage. We don't leave it in the trunk of the car. We don't leave it in the garage. It comes with us. All the emotional, mental, marital, spiritual, relational, social, communal, and anything else I left out, we bring that baggage with us. And so when we come into meetings and discussions, we must remember that all of us are living together in this broken world. Someone said to G.K. Chesterton one time, they said, they said, Chesterton, what's wrong with the church? You know what Chesterton said? I am. A fitting reply. He said, I am. What can we do about this? Here's what we can do about it. Remember this principle. Give a little space to one another. You know why? Grace gives space. Grace gives space. Offer a little space for grace to do its thing. And then what else should we do for one another as a church? Pray. Pray. When God brings somebody to your mind, jot their name down in your journal and lift them up in prayer. Because we're all going through this thing together. We are one body moving toward one mission, which is making disciples of people that Jesus wants to see redeemed and restored. And you know what's going to happen along the way? There's going to be a little friction. The second thing is this. We see this early church creatively solving the issue without sacrificing their priorities. They creatively solve this problem, but they do not sacrifice their priorities that Christ gives them. Verses 2 and 3 tell us what they decide to do. Listen, they summon the full number of disciples and they said this. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. And so they understood their mandate from Jesus to preach the word was their first and foremost activity that they were to be engaged in the spiritual feeding, leading, and nourishing of this church. 
You know what I love about their leadership right here? Two things are evident. Number one, creativity. And number two, clearly understood priorities. Creativity and clearly understood priorities. I want you to think about this for a second. Was the deacon office in existence in Acts chapter 5? No. Let me ask that question again. I heard one response. Was the deacon office in existence in chapter 5 of Acts? No. No. It was not present. They did not have the deacon office. It wasn't something that the church started with. This was a spirit-led, sort of on-the-fly decision from a human perspective. God knew it was going to take place and ordained it to take place. But this was a change they had to make as the church grew. They stopped, they called a timeout and said, Listen, we've got to solve this issue so we can take care of these needs. And so the deacon office was created. You know what happens? Growth always necessitates change. My belt? Growth always necessitates change. And so they couldn't pretend like they were a small group anymore. They had to creatively find new ways to get the job done. The same is true for us as a church. As we move forward, as you go to your workplaces and your neighborhoods and your clubs and your dinners and your social events and you share the gospel with people and they respond and you say, hey, why don't you come with me to church this coming weekend? And as they join up here and they become a part of this body, you know what happens? We grow and we change and we are different than we were two weeks ago or two years ago. And as we do that, we have to find solutions that are creative but keep Jesus Christ central. And so from the get-go, the apostles knew their priorities. Let me ask you a question. How easy? How easy? In this moment, Would it have been for the apostles to feel the peer pressure of disapproving people in the church? Imagine that apostles meeting when they get together and they say, Oh boys, listen, half the crowd's upset and they're not happy and they're not getting what they want. I don't know what we're going to do. The church is going to fall apart. How easy would it have been to become sidetracked or sidelined because they were focused on making everyone happy? Do you think that happens in churches today? No. Of course it happens in churches today. Because we all come in when we want it, we want it to be the way we want it to be. Tom Rainer in his book, I'm a Church Member, calls this attitude the country club mentality. You say, what's the country club mentality? It's where we show up and we pay our dues. I mean, our tithe. It's being facetious. We pay our dues. That's the attitude. And then we sit back and we wait for someone to bring us another lemonade in the air-conditioned clubhouse. That's the country club mentality. Now, I'm not saying it was taking place here in Acts chapter 6. There was a real need that had to be met. We'll talk about that in a moment. But one of the things the devil loves to do in churches is just say, Hey, it's a little cold in here for you, isn't it? You want it hotter, right? Fill out a comment card. Complain. And what do we do? We all have our own idea. I want it hotter. I want it colder. I want nicer chairs in my Sunday school classroom. I want a coffee pot in my classroom. I want a coffee pot that makes 12 cups. I want two coffee pots. I want a special kind of coffee (laughs) in my Sunday school classroom. I want more trips. I want less trips. I want this song. I don't like that song. I want to sing that song twice, but we don't want to hear that song twice in the same month. That's how we get Sometimes we come in here and we have all of our different attitudes and preferences. But you know what happens? 
When that attitude takes over in a church, it's like weeds, isn't it? It's like weeds everywhere. I took one of my little boys outside yesterday. I said, listen, you're going to pull some weeds in this bed right here. We went all the way around the house pulling weeds. What happens if we ignore those weeds? They take over. And everything in my bed is just covered up with weeds. And if we don't deal personally, personally, with our own attitude, if the Holy Spirit doesn't reveal that and we don't confess that, then you know what happens in a church? An attitude of me, myself, and I begins to take over. But the apostles determined their priorities of prayer and preaching, and they stuck to those. Now, on the other side of the coin, was this a legitimate need? Yes. Were there widows in the church that were being overlooked? Yes. I don't think the scripture ever tells us this was some trumped up charge to create division and have a coat rack Baptist church somewhere. I don't think that's what it says at all. There was a legitimate need going on in the church. Did the apostles ignore it? No. Did the apostles dismiss it? Psh, psh, psh. We don't have time for that. No. The apostles listened. They listened to the need that was going on. And they said, listen, guys, we got to come together. We have to be unified. We need to work to find a creative and flexible solution where we can grow and go forward, but not sacrifice our calling. And so what did they do? They created this place of service. It's what we call the deacon ministry. Can I tell you why church membership matters? Can I give you just one big reason? It's not the reason, and it's not even the, the most important. But can I give you one big reason why church membership matters and why you should not just come here and come here and come here without joining this church and plugging in and finding a place to serve? Can I tell you why? Because there's a job that God has for you to do here. And you know what? If you just say, I'm going to come in at 1058, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to leave and I'm not going to really plug in. That's like my hand saying, I'm not going to participate in the activities of the day. God has a job for you to do. He's got a calling on your life. He's gifted you naturally. He's spiritually gifted you in ways that when you bring those together, you know what he can do through your life? No, we don't know. We have no idea what God might do through us if we all plug in and we serve together. D.L. Moody said it's better to put 10 men to work than to try to do the work of 10 men. You think he's right? I believe he is. And so the apostles solved this issue with creativity and clearly communicated priorities. And what did they do? They got other people involved as well. Did you see the apostles grabbing up for control? Are the church leaders saying, we're going to have this thing and nobody else? No, you don't see that at all. They're handing it off. They're finding qualified, gifted, skilled men and they're handing it over to them and saying, you do it because you can do it probably better than I can and I'm going to stick to what God called me to do. The third thing we see is the church selected proven, not perfect leaders. The church selected proven, not perfect leaders. Are there any perfect leaders? Let me, let me ask that again. Are there any perfect leaders? No. Are there any perfect churches? No. You know why? The minute we walk in looking for one, we ruin it, don't we? Are there any perfect church members? Are there any perfect programs or processes? Or is there any perfect temperature in the... No. 
There's no such thing as perfection this side of eternity. We move toward that and Christ draws us toward that. As he sanctifies us, we become more like Jesus. But when we are glorified, when we are inhabiting our glorified body in his presence, then we will understand and enjoy perfection. But what did the early church do? They sought out proven leaders with strong character, good reputation, And a sound walk with Jesus. Verse 3. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. Notice what they didn't say. They didn't say, hey guys, listen, we need to take care of this thing, so pick out the first seven that you can twist their arm and get them to show up. They didn't say, listen, find the guys with the most spare time and just throw them in there. The apostles found good, solid criteria, Christ-like criteria. These were to be men of strong character, solid reputation. Men who lead, listen to this, this is so good, lead out of the overflow of their life. They lead out of the overflow of what Jesus is doing in them. There's no requirement for, for, for perfection. There's no requirement for 15 years of experience. You know why? Nobody in the church at this point had 15 years of experience, did they? Think about it. They're six chapters into this thing. They're brand new at what they are doing. And what do the apostles say? Put the deacons in charge of the practical, physical needs, and we'll focus on the spiritual needs and the leadership of the church. And lo and behold, what happened? Everybody was happy. Everybody was happy. It pleased the whole group. Is this not the most beautiful moment in church history? I think it is. But there's something really cool here I want us to see. Look at how they solved the problem. Look at verse 5 and 6. I'm going to attempt to read this again. I'll probably pronounce these names differently. But hang with me. Verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit. And Philip, I've pronounced those good so far. Prochorus, Nicanor, I don't know how to say his name. Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a convert from Antioch. You know what stands out? Every single one of these men had Greek names. Every single one of these men were from the complaining crowd. How easy would it have been if you're in the Hebrew crowd and you hear the complaints and saying, No, sir, we're not giving them the reins. We're going to have our people take care of things. What does that do? It creates more division and more splitting. But listen, they're thinking win-win. They're thinking, what's a win for the church? What's a win for Jesus? What's a win for us? So they said, you guys are upset. Why don't y'all pick seven people? So the whole church picks seven guys that have Greek-speaking names from the crowd that was complaining. That's the kind of unity that we see when the Holy Spirit is leading the church. Did they have friction? Yes. Did they have disagreement? Yes. But instead of demanding things to be their way, they came together With a creative solution, and what did God do? He put his hand on that thing, and he blessed it. And what does verse 7 tell us happened? The word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Three things happened. The word of God went forward. Division was turned into multiplication. And the religiously lost in town got saved. Are there religiously lost people in our churches? You bet there are. 
There are people that are counting on their religion and all the boxes they check every single Sunday on their offering envelope to get them into heaven. That doesn't do anything but get your name on a church roll. It doesn't necessarily get your name on the heavenly roll. Those things don't matter in the long run. Are they possible potential spiritual disciplines that might help you? Maybe. But you can also do them from a dead heart inside. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? The guys that checked off all the boxes, they tithed on their spices. Get your spice rack out when you go home and open that thing up and dump them out and divide it into ten little parts and bring that next part and dump it in the offering plate. That's what the Pharisees were doing. And Jesus said, you're full of dead men's bones. You're a morgue. You're housing death. Even though you look religious on the outside. The religiously lost got saved. You know why? They saw the church functioning like it's supposed to. You know what happens when the church actually lives and loves and learns and leads like the church? You know what happens? The community takes notice. Homes change. Marriages are revived. Workplaces begin to look a little bit different because the church is being the church. Stephen Covey wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He said this, Synergy is the profound result when two or more respectful human beings determine to go beyond their preconceived ideas to meet a great challenge. I cannot think of a better challenge than Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of where? All nations. It's not a mission we can afford to ignore. It's not one we set on the sideline. Do you know why I said this last week? And I'll say it again. Because repetition is helpful. If we ignore the Great Commission, do you know what I believe Jesus will do with our effectiveness? He will come and remove our lampstand. He will take us out of this community and we will just fade to a place of ineffectiveness where we do whatever it is we want to do, but we're not reaching souls If we don't keep this mission central in everything we do, it is incumbent upon me to remind us, to remind me as the pastor in my weekly activities, our mission is an eternal mission. So sometimes it's going to mean a little friction along the way. Sometimes there's going to be pains as we grow. But if we keep our priorities in line and we creatively seek to solve issues that we face, you know what I think God's going to do? He's going to bless. He's going to put His hand on things and He's going to send it forward like He's been doing for years and years in churches everywhere. And you know what I think we'll see? I think we'll see verse 7 right here. I think we'll see verse 7 lived out right here in our midst. The Word goes forward, not just for me, from 200 people that take it forward. The word goes forward. Division turns into multiplication. And we see people give their lives to Christ. I'd love to be a part of that, wouldn't you? That'd be awesome. Wouldn't it be awesome to wake up on a Sunday morning and to know you're coming to gather with people that are making an eternal difference. That's what God's called us to be about. D.L. Moody, I'll say this and we'll close. 
D.L. Moody said, I've never known the Spirit of God to work where the Lord's people were divided. Moody said, I've never known the Spirit of God to work where the Lord's people were divided. You know what Satan wants to do? Divide and devour. You know what the Spirit of God wants to do? Unify and bind and heal and strengthen and send us forward with His hand on us as a church. There will be growing pains. But we can face these. We can face these with the help of the Holy Spirit first and the wisdom of the leadership of this church. We can move forward together. And we can be all that God wants us to be and we can reach every soul that God wants us to reach. That's where He's taken us. That's what's out in front of us. The question is, how will we deal with the pains as we grow?